Rinky-tink in Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 9, narrated by Kalinda. Rinky-tink in Oz, by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 9, A Present for Zella. Now it so happened that on the morning of that same day when the Prince of Pingaree suffered the loss of his priceless shoes, there chanced to pass along the road that wound beside the royal palace a poor charcoal burner named Nicobob, who was about to return to his home in the forest. Nicobob carried an axe and a bundle of torches over his shoulder, and he walked with his eyes to the ground being deep in thought as to the strange manner in which the powerful king Goss and his city had been conquered by a boy prince who had come from Pingaree. Suddenly the charcoal burner espied a shoe lying upon the ground, just beyond the high wall of the palace and directly in his path. He picked it up, and seeing it was a pretty shoe, although much too small for his own foot, he put it in his pocket. Soon after, on turning a corner of the wall, Nicobob came to a dust-heap, where, lying amidst a mass of rubbish, was another shoe, the mate to the one he had found before. This he also placed in his pocket, saying to himself, I have now a fine pair of shoes for my daughter Zella, who will be much pleased to find I have brought her a present from the city. And while the charcoal-burner turned into the forest, and trudged along the path toward his home, Inga and Rinkitink were still searching for the missing shoes. Of course, they could not know that Nicobob had found them, nor did the honest man think he had taken anything more than a pair of cast-off shoes which nobody wanted. Nicobob had several miles to travel through the forest before he could reach the little log cabin where his wife, as well as his little daughter Zella, awaited his return. But he was used to long walks and tramped along the path whistling cheerfully to beguile the time. Few people, as I said before, ever pass through the dark and tangled forests of Regos, except to go to the mines in the mountain beyond, for many dangerous creatures lurked in the wild jungles, and King Goss never knew, when he sent a messenger to the mines, whether he would reach there safely or not. The charcoal burner, however, knew the wild forest well, and especially this part of it lying between the city and his home. It was the favorite haunt of the ferocious beast Choggenmugger, dreaded by every dweller in the island of Regos. Choggenmugger was so old that everyone thought it must have been there since the world was made, and each year of its life the huge scales that covered its body grew thicker and harder, and its jaws grew wider, and its teeth grew sharper, and its appetite grew more keen than ever. In former ages there had been many dragons in Regos, but Choggenmugger was so fond of dragons that he had eaten all of them long ago. There had also been great serpents and crocodiles in the forest marshes, but all had gone to feed the hunger of Choggenmugger. The people of Regos knew well there was no use opposing the great beast, so when one unfortunately met with it he gave himself up for lost. All this Nicobob knew well but fortune had always favored him in his journey through the forest, 
and although he had at times met many savage beasts and fought them with his sharp axe, he had never, to this day, encountered the terrible Choggenmugger. Indeed, he was not thinking of the great beast at all as he walked along, but suddenly he heard a crashing of broken trees, and felt a trembling of the earth, and saw the immense jaws of Choggenmugger opening before him. Then Nicobob gave himself up for lost, and his heart almost ceased to beat. He believed there was no way of escape. No one ever dared oppose Choggenmugger. But Nicobob hated to die without showing the monster in some way that he was eaten only under protest. So he raised his axe and brought it down upon the red protruding tongue of the monster and cut it clean off. For a moment the charcoal burner scarcely believed what his eyes saw, for he knew nothing of the pearls he carried in his pocket or the magic power they lent his arm. His success, however, encouraged him to strike again, and this time the huge scaly jaw of Choggenmugger was severed in twain, and the beast howled in terrified rage. Nicobob took off his coat to give himself more freedom of action, and then he earnestly renewed the attack. But now the axe seemed blunted by the hard scales and made no impression upon them whatever. The creature advanced with glaring wicked eyes and Nicobob seized his coat under his arm and turned to flee. That was foolish, for Choggenmugger could run like the wind. In a moment it overtook the charcoal burner and snapped its four rows of sharp teeth together. But they did not touch Nicobob, because he still held the coat in his grasp, close to his body, and in the coat pocket were Inga's shoes, and in the points of the shoes were the magic pearls. Finding himself uninjured, Nicobob put on his coat, again seized his axe, and in a short time had chopped Choggenmugger into many small pieces, a task that proved not only easy, but very agreeable. I must be the strongest man in all the world, thought the charcoal burner, as he proudly resumed his way. For Choggenmugger has been the terror of Rego since the world began, and I alone have been able to destroy the beast. Yet it is singular that never before did I discover how powerful a man I am. He met no further adventure, and at midday reached a little clearing in the forest where stood his humble cabin. Great news! I have great news for you! He shouted, as his wife and little daughter came to greet him. King Goss has been conquered by a boy prince from the far island of Pinigree, and I have this day, unaided destroyed Choganmugger by the might of my strong arm. This was indeed great news. They brought Nicobob into the house and set him in an easy chair and made him tell everything he knew about the Prince of Pingree and the fat King of Gilgad, as well as the details of his wonderful fight with mighty Choganmugger. And now, my daughter, said the charcoal burner, when all his news had been related for at least the third time, Here's a pretty present I have brought you from the city. With this he drew the shoes from the pocket of his coat and handed them to Zella, who gave him a dozen kisses in payment and was much pleased with her gift. The little girl had never worn shoes before, for her parents were too poor to buy her such luxuries. So now the possession of these, which were not much worn, filled the child's heart with joy. She admired the red leather and the graceful curl of the pointed toes. When she tried them on her feet, they fitted as well as if made for her. All the afternoon, as she helped her mother with the housework, Zella thought of her pretty shoes.
They seemed more important to her than the coming to Regos of the conquering Prince of Pingaree, or even the death of Choggenmugger. When Zella and her mother were not working in the cabin, cooking or sewing, they often searched the neighboring forest for honey, which the wild bees cleverly hid in hollow trees. The day after Nicobob's return, as they were starting out after honey, Zella decided to put on her new shoes, as they would keep the twigs that covered the ground from hurting her feet. She was used to the twigs, of course, but what is the use of having nice comfortable shoes if you do not wear them? So she danced along very happily, followed by her mother, and presently they came to a tree in which was a deep hollow. Zella thrust her hand and arm into the space and found that the tree was full of honey, so she began to dig it out with a wooden paddle. Her mother, who held the pail, suddenly cried in warning, Look out, Zella, the bees are coming. And then the good woman ran fast toward the house to escape. Zella, however, had no more than time to turn her head when a thick swarm of bees surrounded her, angry because they had caught her stealing their honey and intent on stinging the girl as punishment. She knew her danger and expected to be badly injured by the multitude of stinging bees. But to her surprise the little creatures were unable to fly close enough to her to stick their dart-like singers into her flesh. They swarmed about her in a dark cloud, and their angry buzzing was terrible to hear. Yet the little girl remained unharmed. When she realized this, Sella was no longer afraid, but continued to ladle out the honey until she had secured all that was in the tree. Then she returned to the cabin, where her mother was weeping and bemoaning the fate of her darling child, and the good woman was greatly astonished to find Zella had escaped injury. Again they went to the woods to search for honey, and although the mother always ran away whenever the bees came near them, Zella paid no attention to the creatures but kept at her work, so that before supper-time came the pails were again filled to overflowing with delicious honey. With such good fortune as we have had this day, said her mother, we shall soon gather enough honey for you to carry to Queen Cor. For it seems the wicked queen was very fond of honey, and it had been Zelda's custom to go, once every year, to the city of Korragos, to carry the queen a supply of sweet honey for her table. Usually she had but one pail. But now, said Zella, I shall be able to carry two pails full to the queen, who will, I am sure, give me a good price for it. True, answered her mother. And, as the boy prince may take it into his head to conquer Corrigos as well as Rigos, I think it best for you to start on your journey to Queen Cor tomorrow morning. Do you not agree with me, Nicobob? She added, turning to her husband, the charcoal burner, who was eating his supper. I agree with you, he replied. If Zella must go to the city of Gorgos, she may as well start tomorrow morning. End of chapter 9